0: All right, welcome to the latest episode of Take Back Our Schools. I am Andrew Gutman, and as I am joined every week, along with my co-host, Beth Feely, we are two parents who became accidental activists when we spoke out about the failures of our own children's education system in their schools. And now we speak to others that also speak out and do things about the failures of our education system. And today I am very excited to speak to our guest, uh, Catherine Burble Singh. She is headmistress and co-founder of Michaela Community School in London and chair of the Social Mobility Commission. She is known as, and I love this, uh, Namaka, Britain's strictest headmistress following the ITV documentary about Michaela, uh, and Michaela draws up to 1000 visitors a year from across the world. Uh, of people that want to see what they are doing and how it is so different than from what other schools are doing. Uh, Catherine read Philosophy and Modern Languages at the University of Oxford and has always been a teacher in inner London. She has made numerous appearances on television, radio, and podcasts, has written for several publications. She has written two books, edited another two, the last of which is The Power of Culture, which is about Michaela, And she was appointed honorary fellow of New College Oxford in 2021 and commander of the order of the British Empire in 2020. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us on Take Back Our Schools.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I thought we would start kind of big picture. Um, You have been outspoken for a long time for upwards of I think 15 years about the failures of our education system. And when I say our education system, you're in the UK, we're here in the U.S. My sense is what you describe, what you talk about, what we talk about on that podcast is pretty similar across the Anglosphere, across the English speaking countries, maybe even beyond that. So I think what you have to say is very relevant. Uh, but you talk about the failures of the education system. And I think specifically to uh, inner city kids, to lower income kids, we're failing them more than we're failing everybody else. So I- I'd love to kind of just start. Can you talk about what you mean by that and and sort of how we got to this point.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting because you say about failing inner city kids more so. Um, it's because they don't necessarily have the family background to make up for the deficits of the schools. <laughs> uh, whereas the, the the more well-off families, um, they will be able to make up for it, not just with tutors that they'll hire, but uh, by taking their children on interesting holidays, by sitting around the dinner table in the evening and talking about the politics of the day and so on. And this is, um, like you, you say, the Anglosphere. I, I mean, I would say, the in fact, the Western world, it's a problem for. But in particular, I was just in Australia. They have the exact same problems. I was I actually grew up in Canada um, and same problems in Canada. I spent a lot of time in the US. In fact, I was in Florida uh, over the summer speaking to teachers there. And the situation is bad. (laughs) So
0: um, It's bad. And it's better in Florida than in most other in New York, where I'm from, or Illinois, where where Beth is from. But yeah, it's bad.
1: Yeah. So and when I say the situation is bad, you say, so what is what is actually going on? You've got involved now at, at the sort of this tail end uh, bit of the story where it's become really obvious to parents like you. And thank yeah. goodness you have got involved and well done you. Hooray. The parents are are noticing this. Um, and the reason why you've noticed it is because it was really obvious. It was, uh, you know, race uh, race just being amplified on a level that you know, reminded you of the 1950s in the U.S. Um, uh pride flags everywhere um decolonization of books or you know an english curriculum um and not just on race also all of the talk around mental health and um yep. the, the the essentially the promotion of victimhood that that is what you noticed you know and um but what's interesting for me having been in this for a long time is how we've got here um because that is the end point. The beginning points really, this has been happening for 40 or 50 years, the deterioration of our our schools in the Western world, particularly in the Anglosphere. Um, uh, Since the sixties, the idea of knowledge has been rejected. So what I mean by that is, People feel uncomfortable about the idea of there being a proper body of knowledge, the best that's been thought and said, that you should then impart that knowledge to children. They don't like that. And over the decades, we've moved away from that and talked very much about the idea of, well, what we need to do is teach them skills. We don't need to give them knowledge. They need the skill of being able to write about their own opinions. So rather than them write an essay about Macbeth, what we're going to do is get them to write an essay about uh, their neighborhood and whether they like living in it. And of course, there's obviously a big difference between writing an essay on Macbeth and writing an essay about your neighborhood. Now, the the, the reason why this can hit uh, low-income families more is because in schools that have perhaps more challenging background, inner-city schools, and if you have a more challenging background, you want to do things that will supposedly engage the kids. And so you look at your... I don't know, you're, you're black boys and you think, gosh, you really can't access Shakespeare. Shakespeare's white and old fashioned. And so, so you don't
0: relate to Shakespeare basically. You don't relate to him.
1: So we need to make whatever we do with you, you know, something that you can relate to. So we're gonna do rap songs with you. We're gonna do poets that are of your skin color, for instance, because that's, you're going to be able to identify with them better.
2: Which is and really so- a racist thing to say
1: yes indeed I mean, indeed absolutely and so over the decades things have been changing slowly and to a certain extent there was some room for that you know you might have said you know in the 1970s perhaps the uh, the curriculum was too white perhaps the um the the, the lack of you know uh, uh ethnic minority authors or the lack of Certainly in Britain, for instance, we look at the way British history used to be taught. Uh, You might not tell the story of in the Second World War, for instance, there were a million Indian soldiers who participated or hundreds of thousands of Caribbean soldiers. This kind of information was left out in Mm -hmm. the day. Now slowly that began to change and it was wrong. There were things that were done before that were wrong. Things then changed. But the thing is that momentum has just kept going over time. And because there has been this denigration of knowledge and also a denigration of discipline. So when Mm -hmm. people call me the strictest headmistress in Britain, that isn't necessarily a compliment, right? Um, Now, some people say it a bit tongue in cheek, oh, you're the strictest headmistress. But there are others who say it to criticize me because they imagine that I walk up and down the corridors with whips and chains and that I hate children that of course I get to school every morning at 6 45 because I hate children that's what they imagine um and that we're just punishing them on a whim because we just we, we we we're unable to inspire them you see with rap songs we're unable to make learning relevant to them and if only you could get in touch with their feelings and connect with them that um you, you, you would be able to, to, you would be able to engage them on that kind of level. Now. Uh, so the old fashioned way of doing things, which is to have some strict discipline. And let me just explain what that is. Um, you don't do your homework. You get a detention. You pretty straightforward. (laughs) Exactly. It's not like, you know, 20, 30 minute detention, You're not, you know, we, we do a whole session when we teach the kids, we, 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 um, we talk about mandela and we say he spent 27 years in prison you've got a 20 minute detention you can suck it up you know <laughs> like the fact is it's not a big deal to punish a child but the word punishment has entirely disappeared from our from our dictionaries and schools the idea of a child being obedient the idea of um uh us being in charge and being in authority that the adult should be in authority that has disappeared because we are terrified we don't understand that being in authority and being authoritarian are two different things and so we think to ourselves if you're in charge of the classroom that means you're hitler that's that's just how we think so in order to be a good teacher you've got to be friends with the kids so that's the discipline side of things that's gone out the window and knowledge has gone out the window which then when you're just trying to connect with the kids well how do you connect with them that then leaves a huge door open for all of the stuff that you are now seeing happening with the pride flags and the and the decolonization and the 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 the, the massive mental health um uh you know um uh, industry which isn't to say that obviously all of those issues have you know should be talked about it's not that they're not real it is the case that you need to think you know you don't want your whole curriculum to be white. It is the case that you uh, will want to recognize, um, you know, uh, gay people's rights and you'll want to make sure that your that all your children feel comfortable with the, the pride movement and so on. It is the case that some of your children will be suffering from mental health. So all of these have a place. The problem is that things have become exaggerated and people have become... What's happened is that they're no longer able to remember what schools are meant to be doing. Like our main purpose is to teach English and math and science and French and so on. Um, it's also to help children. We Our motto is work hard, be kind. And I always say that it, you, you want your children at the very least, you want them all to leave school uh, being able to work hard and being kind. You care about what kinds of people they're gonna be, and you care about them having that motivation and taking personal responsibility for themselves. Um, you know, your, to, to bring it back to America, you know, your KIPP schools, the charter schools, uh, we actually stole our motto from them. Uh, their motto was, and I do say that in the past tense, exactly. was uh, work hard, be nice. And of course, as you know, Uh, They then had to recently, since uh, 2020, have had to change that motto and get rid of it uh, because teaching black children to be nice is to teach them to be subservient and therefore it is racist. Now, there is no way we're ever changing ours. We made it be kind because we wanted to be a little bit different. We didn't want to steal the motto, you know, wholesale. But the fact is, the idea that I should be allowed to teach white children to be kind but not teach black children to be kind is just absurd. Um, this does not help black children. I mean, that's the thing. None of this is helping any black child anywhere. Uh, the, the idea that they should never be able to access Shakespeare, that they should never be taught how to be kind and decent and, you know, uh, their friend loses their pen, they lend a pen to their friend. Um, that the idea that they would never be able to access, you know, w- these wonderful works of literature to understand the history of their own country, so in Britain, you know, in our school we teach British history. If we were in China, we would teach Chinese history. <laughs> um, and we teach British history because we want our children to understand their country and to feel as if they belong there. And the idea that white people belong more to Britain than black people is in itself racist. So um, we also teach them lots of algebra and and lots of science and so on. Uh, because we understand our role as teachers, which is in the first instance to teach um, and um, not to turn the children into activists. Now, look, I understand that some of our children probably will become activists later and some of them will become dentists. I don't mind what they become. The idea is to teach them properly and then they will make their own choices. It is not to, uh, to, 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 make, to, to sort. I don't wanna say brainwash, but it is a sort of brainwashing really. I, it is wrong, this idea of painting them into a particular image of somebody who you think is a good person, you know, and um, and we do teach them to be kind, but we think of kindness in the old fashioned way, helping out your friend, thanking the bus driver, opening up the door for someone and um, being grateful to your teachers for setting you your homework, understanding that the reason why you've been set into detention is because your teacher cares about you and wants the very best for you and so on. Th- this sort of thing, um, sadly, is now made us so uh, out of the ordinary that we nearly get a hundred, a 1, thousand visitors every year. I come- wanted to
2: ask about that. I mean, it's amazing, but what you've just described is incredibly controversial. You have taken slings and arrows uh, for years and, how do you deal with that and does that also have an impact on the kids like are they aware of how really countercultural your school
1: is um i don't know we don't talk about it much so while i will give an assembly for instance about gay prime ministers and say you know this let's look at this isn't this interesting um we don't have pride flags everywhere but they obviously just don't notice that we don't have pride flags everywhere because they don't realize that in other schools they might do, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, we read, uh, we do certain, some poets who are black poets. We uh, took some of the kids to see Small Island by Andrea Levy, who, uh, you know, it's about Caribbean people moving to Britain in the Windrush era. Um, we don't make a big deal about it. We learn it and and that and that's fine. We obviously teach about slavery. Um, we do American civil rights. We also do British civil rights as it were in the early 20th century and what black people fought for here in Britain. Um, I don't think that they, I don't think they realize cause they don't know what the alternative would be in another school. So they get a very balanced history curriculum where they're learning about uh, all the various different cultures that are in Britain, um, they learn about the the good things that Britain did in the past and the bad things that Britain did in the past. We don't teach that Britain is a bad is a bad country and look at all the terrible things they did. We 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 give a varied and accurate uh, representation. So, um, they, if you talk know. about,
0: for example, you know, like imperialist Britain, yes. I mean, can can you tell both sides of that story? I mean, you know, we, we have, you know, obviously similar issues in the U.S. Um, yes. And do kids, I, I I guess it's sort of the same question Beth asked. I mean, do kids appreciate hearing both sides? Do they understand they're getting both sides where most other kids are not getting both sides of that story?
1: No, they won't understand that other kids are not getting both sides. Okay. The mm-hmm. thing is that we teach very well here and we have such excellent discipline that the children are learning loads about everything. So they're also learning loads of science and loads of math and loads of everything. So they're loads of French. So they know that their French in comparison to the French of the friends at the school wherever, uh, is much better. They know that their knowledge of history is better, but they don't necessarily realize how it differs. You know, I I, that's not they just won't realize that. They they, at least not until
2: they've gotten out into college or the workplace where they will be
1: possibly making
2: friends and colleagues.
1: They might realize things like we sing God Save the Queen and other uh, songs that are, you know, uh, patriotic songs that represent Britain, as it were. Um, That's something that they would know that was different. Um, We have English flags up at the moment because we're playing in the World Cup. And so, you know, we're cheering for, for England and we make a big deal about that. Would they notice that that's different? Because that wouldn't necessarily happen elsewhere. I don't know. Uh, they certainly. They certainly feel British. So if you ask our children and they're mainly ethnic minority kids, if you were to ask them, they would say that they were British and that. in Are America, they proud I to
0: say that? Yeah. Are they so proud like, to say that they're. Yeah.
1: So like in America, I think all of your people say that they're American, whether they're white or black, everybody believes that they're American. In Britain, the way the race issue plays itself out is that ethnic minorities will say, yeah, yeah, I'm Jamaican, I'm Ghanaian, I'm Nigerian and so on. And that's because they don't identify as British because they don't believe that Britain is their country. And they're often made to feel as if Britain is not their country by the media, by the schools, by everybody, really, because the idea is that. British people are white, I suppose. Um, our kids would certainly identify first as British. Um, and then they might say their families are from Jamaica, you know, uh, which is something that we're really fighting for here. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's impossible to have a country that's successful with a multicultural community if you don't have an umbrella under which you can all belong. <laughs> and so the umbrella is Britain. And that means you can be Muslim, you can be Hindu, you can be Christian, you can be brown, black, white, doesn't matter. We're all British together.
0: You need a sense of of, of belonging to your country, to Britain. Would you go as far as to say you would need a sense of patriotism? Yes. I mean, it's something that we we struggle with here. Mm. Should schools, should public schools, government schools teach a patriotic? Obviously, we teach something very different now. We teach ourselves to, you know, our kids to hate. United States and its history and founding but do you need to go as far as to say that you should have a patriotic sense at least yes but
1: you can be patriotic without um you can be patriotic without thinking everything your country does is right right so I'm very patriotic but I'm hugely critical of the education system right in Britain so I'm hugely critical of Britain all the time uh because I love it you know so it's When um, November the 11th comes, we are all wearing poppies. We we take the two-minute silence very seriously. We do assemblies before that about various different wars. We demonstrate how different people have participated in those wars. We recognize the ethnic minority contribution to those wars. We talk about... a a kind of reverence towards the dead and understanding that we would not live in freedom had it not been for those people who gave their lives for us, you know? Um, It makes us humble. And being part of your country, because it's not just about belonging, it's also about humility. And um, now, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I was talking to my staff just a couple of days ago about Colin Kaepernick, and I was saying, you know, what is interesting about that story isn't so much, because I'll say... What happens in the U.S. is that there's two uh, the two camps. There's the camp that say Colin Kaepernick is brilliant. We need to kneel because you know of all the terrible racism, et cetera, and he's shedding light on this really powerful, terrible issue. And then there's the other side, the right, that say he's denigrating you know the flag and our country, and how can he do this? Um, what we what we need is patriotism, and that that is is you know, that, that's what's important. And and I would say, actually, the, 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 the conversation is more complex than that. The conversation really should be about because what I was talking to American and he was saying this, he was taking that view of, you know, Colin Kaepernick is, is a bad guy. And I said, well. The reason why it's more complex than that, it's not just about, oh, he's denigrating his country. It's about whether or not he ought to be criticizing his country for the situation that we find ourselves in. Is it justified? So it it was the case that Martin Luther King was very critical of his country. Yes, and he ought to have been so because there were serious issues that he needed to stand up against. And I think that if it were the case that it was justified, then actually kneeling at a football game is a powerful way to do that because you're bringing, everybody's watching the football. I mean, millions are watching. It's a great way of shedding light on the issue. The question is whether or not the issue just the current issue of racism in the U.S. justifies that kind of act, and that's where it all becomes complex. Because some people will say yes, it does, and then that's when you need to start looking at the facts and start looking at well, is it really as racist as you think? <laughs> um, and I would argue, I would no. argue that it's not. I mean, when I when I left university, so I was at Oxford, and when I left university, I remember tons of people. This is in the nineties. Tons of uh, Black British people left Britain to go and live in the United States because they felt that there was less of a glass ceiling in the United States than there was here in Britain. And I totally agree with them. And that's exactly what they found. They went to America and found that actually they could be hugely successful. So I I just don't believe, I mean, I'm not saying there's no racism. Of course there's racism. And I would take quite a complex view of racism. I wouldn't say that it's just not giving the guy a job i'd say you know i have a very complex view of racism i just don't think it's that bad it's not so bad to justify kneeling in that way that that, you know either in america or in britain
0: we'll be right back with more from take back our schools
1: Hey, James, i reminding you that just because the elections are over doesn't mean there's not stuff to talk about. There's lots. There's looking back at what happened. There's looking back at the stuff blowing up today and taking a look at the stuff that might be blowing up tomorrow. We'll talk about it all in the next Ricochet flagship podcast.
2: Um, I wanted to ask about about recruiting teachers. Uh, You obviously create a very unique culture. Do you have a problem finding teachers or do you have a line out the door of teachers wanting to join uh, Michaela Academy?
1: Well, it depends on the subject. Some more often. So you might get history teachers. History teachers like the idea of teaching knowledge Um, uh, because it really isn't like it's not. The people who apply here aren't applying here according to where they are on the culture wars. <laughs> They're applying here. This is where I say about where it started. They're applying here because they like the idea of teaching knowledge as opposed to, uh, and I like, look, this might not make any sense to your listeners. They're like, what do you mean? Don't all schools teach knowledge? I promise you they're not teaching knowledge. What (laughs) happens is go and visit a classroom, go and visit a school. You will find that the desks are in groups and the children are looking at each other instead of looking at the teacher. You will find that it's child-centered learning as opposed to teacher-led learning. So historians, they tend to like teaching history and leading the learning. So I'll get more teachers apply from there. But science teachers, maths teachers, I mean, the thing is there's a shortage in the country anyway. Art teachers, very difficult to find because art teachers are all very hippie and they, they look at us and they think, what? You want us to teach like that? We're not going to teach like that. We just want to look at a fruit bowl and then say, draw. And I say, no, 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 you need to teach them how to hold a pencil first. And they say, no, 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 that's too boring. We just want to live and be an artiste. And so, look, that so it can be quite hard to find them, for instance. But look, we do get people who are self-selecting. But when they come, I have to work very hard at trying to bring them on board with the Michaela way, both in how to teach, but also in how not to stoke victimhood amongst the kids. That's the biggest thing, because what I don't want is for my black kids to be running around saying, I can't do that because I'm black. I can't possibly get a job at a bank because I'm black. I can't possibly read Shakespeare because I'm black. You know, oh, I didn't do my homework because I'm black. I didn't do my homework because, you know, whatever. And it's not just a black kid. It could be um, any kind of kid. I didn't do my homework because my dad isn't around. I didn't do my homework because I live on the local estate, you know, and my mom is an alcoholic or whatever it is. You know, and the thing is, is that teachers can feel guilty about their privilege. And so they then let those kids off the hook. And then who is it that pays the price? Well, obviously those kids because they're never actually developing the habits they need for a successful life. They don't learn as much. Then they fail various subjects at school. And then we blame poverty when in fact, it was was the fact that we didn't expect enough of them. And we didn't instill in them the right sorts of values. I talk about small C conservative values, sense of personal responsibility, a sense of duty or service towards society. a sense of sacrifice, that you make sacrifices for others, the idea of kindness, gratitude, being grateful, something we teach our children, no matter how little you have, you should always be grateful for what you've got, because you'll always have more than someone else, you know, and um, and that when you do that, you're going to find you're going to be a much happier person, to give them purpose in their lives. Now, these kinds of... um. And I know, you know, you 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 both will have you've had this experience. I mean, Andrew, I know more about your experiences than than you, Beth. But I mean, um uh, you know, you've had this experience in private schools. You know, it's not even that this is just a problem with public schools. This is a problem across across the 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 sectors. Yes. And and in many ways, I actually think it's now becoming more of a problem with the private schools, the culture wars. And the reason why it's becoming more of a problem at the private schools is that the guilt is massive because they're they come from rich families, rich families and rich enough to be able to afford the fees. And the children feel so guilty about their privilege. The teachers feel guilty. And so the only way of alleviating that guilt is to decolonize and to and encourage the kids to uh, indulge not themselves in victimhood, but to indulge other people in victimhood.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's something where too people, I think some people are heartfelt, like they, that guilt is, is, is real. You know, I don't think that they are, um, you know, be trying to be manipulative, but at the end of the day, it's just so cheap and easy. It's just yeah, such yeah, yeah. a cheap and easy way, way out to, to check the box. Like I feel bad now. Um, I'm going to excuse this kid I'm done. And they go along and live their lives. It actually, as you pointed out, it does not help anybody uh, to have that mindset. No.
1: But you're absolutely right. I'm not even blaming these people. I'm not blaming them. I get it because it's really hard. The media are telling you that you're a bad person. The media are telling you that you ought to feel guilty. And in order to be a good person, look, we had a, a um a bunch of books delivered. We uh, for the library uh, from the book from the bookstore. We had a whole load of books delivered. They sent us a free book. Oh, you're kidding! That's the this,
2: free book that they sent. This book is anti-racist. They obviously have not watched your documentary. <laughs>
1: Well, the thing is, I'm like, so you send this free book to all the schools, because it's the schools, they, 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 we, they sell books to schools. So every time they're sending out a box of books, they're sending out this book. So if you, as a, if I'm a white principal, imagine I'm white, right? So I then get this and I think, oh gosh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a, a racist, you know, what are my social identities? What is race? What is racism? Who am I? Oh my goodness, yes. I've got to get more of these books and I've got to give these to the kids to read because I've got ethnic minority kids and I'm a white principal. Now, because I'm not a white principal and I'm a black principal, I'm able to say this is a load of nonsense. I'm not giving this to my kids. But I can understand why principals fall for this. And I can understand why teachers feel very awkward because the media is telling them that unless you're an anti-racist, then you're a racist and nobody wants to be a racist. So, my skin color in that sense gives me, and it's not just my skin color. I mean, I spent years reading books about race, you know, decades reading books about race and thinking about this stuff. So I come to this, you know, armed with a whole load of knowledge, right? And, and my skin color and my family and my, you know, my mom and my dad and growing up and the, you know, I, I, my family from the Caribbean. So I'm, I'm, I'm just more protected from, from the descent that inevitably happens in schools because schools are filled with white teachers. And it's not their fault. It, I, I really don't blame them at all. It's um it, it, it's really well, it's just in, it's the,
0: just in the US, what we what we have is is almost all young teachers that have these views. And these ideas have been taught in our graduate education schools for decades. These you know, very left-wing sessions with race and now gender and sexuality. Is it the same in the UK? I mean, is it the same uh, teaching degrees have been teaching these ideologies for decades?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, decades, although not as bad. You guys are way, way, way far ahead of us. I mean, having said that, uh, I know from lecturers at universities that, you know, who I know, they are all complaining about the situation. There will be few conservative lecturers. there i went recently to oxford to give um a talk it was for the roger scruton lecture series and it was created it was set up a couple of years ago in order to counter the uh the the op- the opposite that's happening at oxford yeah. in terms of what the, you know they wanted young people to be able to hear a conservative point of view um but there's only four of those lectures that happen and it's just been set up by a couple of guys you know and one of the the lecturers there who's well known, Nigel Bigar. He's um he's well known here as a conservative. He writes stuff in the newspapers. People would accuse him of being a racist. I mean they do accuse him of being a racist um so uh yeah I think on a on a on a smaller level um we we don't have the same history as you do. You know you've got a substantial black population um the very obvious oppression of black people was happening on your soil, whereas here for us, it was happening in the Caribbean, and you know various you know, it, it was a different thing. Uh, we have Indian people here, of course, um, and Britain has a very complicated history, obviously, with India. But uh, you know, often Indian people depends, obviously everybody's different, but Indian children will often uh, perform very well at school um their 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 families can be much more they're not necessarily as angry about their history uh they're more likely to just get their heads down and think we need to work hard uh, in order to be successful which of course any successful group has ever done in history in any country in all of, that, and all the that time. again
2: it is just amazing that what you're doing is so against the current. Like it really, it really is given the entire body of of, of history behind it um, of it, of the approach but, working. Yeah, um, so, so, well, Andrew
1: was asking me about. Sorry, I know I go mm-hmm. on. But, um, <laughs> Andrew was asking me about um, you know for his daughter and saying you know where should he send her here in in Britain you know and he named a few schools and I you know I have to say I I I was thinking I don't really know what to say you know I um Michaela yeah well exactly I mean you know I I don't know what to say it's just a
0: day school though right Michaela's not a boarding school
1: it's not a boarding school you'd have to move I'd have to move which we may do
0: uh, How, yeah, so I, I'd love to hear your. So, I, I mean, for our listeners, we can talk more about this, you know, later. Right, right, the, right. The, okay, okay. Our yes, listeners, we we're, we're, we're considering, um, I, I'm not sure there's a good school left in the United States. And so I'm desperate for something, and we're looking at UK boarding schools. So I'll, I'll turn it back to you to give well, you our You, honest you say
1: input. that there will be charter schools. So, in Florida, in fact, where are you in Florida?
0: We're in South Florida, in Palm Beach County. Between so, Miami, about an hour north of Miami.
1: Right. Well, I was, that's exactly where I was. He's I a was, tough
0: customer.
2: I'm just warning you.
1: <laughs> well, no, but I went to visit this charter school. They, they really reminded me. I mean, look, I didn't see the kids. It was just, I spoke to the, to the principal and I looked around the school, but the way the classes were set up, um, everything he spoke about really made me it reminded me of our school here. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I'll, I'll find the name of it. and But, I mean, the problem is, is that getting into a school is so hard. You know, The
0: charter schools here are all lottery-based. Yeah, And so, you know, you never know if you're going to get in, and, and there are long lists for these schools. What we do see in the United States, and we've had a number of episodes about this, is there is a renaissance of what we call classical education, which is very yeah. much what you're talking about. Uh, yes. And that thankfully you know we're seeing yeah. that so they're um, a
1: classical charter school and yes. i'm going to phoenix in february for a classical charter you know school uh you know, conference okay, um yeah yeah great hearts that's great right hearts. that's mm-hmm. right yeah um so and i'm really interested to see all these different schools i mean because there so there are it's not when you say there isn't a good school left in america i think there are it's just that they're all lottery based and it's hard to get into them <laughs> i don't know.
0: So how bad? Okay. So, so, all right. Well, I got to ask the question that how, how bad are these fancy UK boarding schools or for that matter, fancy UK day schools that, you know, the well-known ones that, you know, people think are, are terrific, similar to the schools we have here that people think are terrific that have completely gone off the rails.
1: Well, look, I don't, I I doubt any of our schools have gone off the rails in the way that your schools have in the U S so I think all of our schools aren't as bad as your schools, yeah. but um there's one boarding school I can think of that I think is excellent that's I would consider to be conservative has small conservative values unfortunately it's a boys school so <laughs> your, your girl can't go there
0: um well here she could just say, you know say she's a boy and go I'm not yeah, sure yeah, if it's <laughs> the same
1: yes well it, yeah and I say that actually I don't even know what the single sex schools are doing I now. will say this
0: I when, when we went so we've we applied to a few a small number of schools um what was very comforting, was that when we had to put in basic and biological information about her, there were only two choices for genders, which are male and female. Okay. If you apply to any of these schools in the United States, you will have many more than two choices.
1: Yes. So you're ahead of us. I mean, I think for those schools, it'll come in, in the next couple of years. And it's certainly the case when I'm applying to, I don't know, get a new a uh, garbage bin, you know, for the from a house or whatever you're applying to the local council, you do have but you have to
0: school. apply. You have to apply for a garbage bin.
1: Well things like that. Okay. Whatever it is. See, <laughs> anything to do with the council. You're having <laughs> okay you're having to get you have to put you know, there'll be 27 genders to choose out of. So like it is like that is happening. It's just not happening as fast as it's yeah. happening to you. Um but do
0: do these schools still value academics? What would you would call you know traditional academics or knowledge or western civilization based cuz cuz our schools here have completely abandoned that mission as as you sort of articulated earlier in the conversation they have now adopted the social justice mission abandoned the traditional knowledge mission
1: look so i have a friend her son is at one of these types of schools um which is you know it's 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 well respected it's admired it's expensive etc and one one she was writing to me saying how horrified she was that uh all her son keeps telling her is how bad Britain is, um, how its behavior during the world wars and all the terrible things it had done, etc. etc. And she said, Why can't they just teach history properly? So she was annoyed about that. Then she told me about um an author visit that they were having, uh, and uh the you know, when she looked up the author, it was very much a, a, a woke poet who had been invited to, you know, to, to talk to them. And I was saying, oh, that's funny because we're also having an author visit. And then I explained about our author and she said, yeah, you're having a real author. <laughs> and then she told me about how they'd had a rap artist come and do a talk to the kids. And in the talk, he'd shown them some porn. And his oh. position was, well, mm-hmm. kids all watch porn anyway. So what's uh. the big deal? And her position was, well, my boy hadn't seen any porn and this is just awful. Yeah, we're seeing yep. that
0: here. In fact, yep. there was a yep. private school just last night that was exposed for something exactly like that.
2: Yes, yeah. in my neck of the woods. Um, in the yeah, Chicago that, area. Yeah. And I um, I thought you're, people should watch the documentary. First of all, I should mention because all of what you talk about is in there and in, including your your thoughts on on uh, rap music and phones and all sorts of, of great info. Um, I wanted to ask, so how, how do we get, these Michaela school ideas into the mainstream, like, have I mean, there's a book, there's this documentary, but I mean, I can imagine there, this resonates with a lot of people because it seems to be a return to common sense. And as you say, stuff, your grandmother would have taught you, but that, you know, that you just would have accepted. And and so how do you, how do we do that?
1: Um, well, we do get, you know, as you were saying, a thousand visitors a year, we get a lot of people coming and they're mainly teachers from all over the world. Some American teachers who come and say, wow, look, what can we do in our schools, etc." The problem is of course, is that if you're one or two teachers in a school, you're, you know, there's, there's just a couple of classrooms that are like that. Yeah. I don't think it's actually about the schools. It's about our general culture. So teachers are just part of society. They just think like everyone else. And so if the media keeps telling them that unless you're anti-racist, you're a racist, then they're all going to be anti-racist. It's really about everyone speaking out and everyone trying to change the demise of the West, which is essentially, I think, what's happening. Um, The problem is, is that anyone who tries to stand up to uh, defend the West, they're considered to be right wing loons. They're considered to be... um, You know, they're they're considered to be people who have a particular agenda uh, where they're doing this for their own uh, benefit. Um, It's hard for them to accuse me of that because I'm obviously in school every day with my kids and that's why I do this. But even then, they used to say I was doing this because I wanted to be a politician. But it has been a long time now and I've never become a politician. So uh, they've had to drop that one. And then they say, oh, it's just because she wants to cause trouble and so on. You know, when I tweet something, they think it's controversial. Um, uh, but I think a lot of people see that I'm genuine and that I really love the children and that I want what's best. I mean, the irony here is that the very people that these people want to help, the poorer black child, the poorer kids living on the estate, the ones who have the difficult family you know, background, etc. They want to help these kids. They're actually destroying their lives. You know, by by refusing to promote kindness and hard work, by indulging them in victimhood, every child wants an excuse for why he didn't bring his homework in. If you give him a ready-made excuse, then he's going to take it. And it does not help him not to do his homework. Um, It doesn't help him to confuse him about uh, what he ought to be thinking about, which is, He ought to be thinking about his math and his English and his science working hard so that he's got skills, so that when he leaves school, he's got some qualifications and he has the best chance of being socially mobile. That is what, that's what we want. We want kids who come from poorer backgrounds to be socially mobile. And you do that by working hard, by being positive, by having purpose, and by finding a space in which you can fulfill your talents. If, on the other hand, you're misbehaving because I'm not listening to that teacher because she's white, or um, my my sense of victimhood isn't being indulged here, um, you're not helping that child. But unfortunately, what I would say is that those who are in positions of power, the media classes, the uh, middle classes, the, the people who have money, they prefer what matters to them is feeling less guilty. What matters to them is feeling like they are good people and their feelings of wanting to feel like good people matter more to them than my kids and their lives. That is the issue, right? Our kids, are, my kids are suffering because of what rich white people do, right? <laughs> and they, and, and, and they're, not, they're not necessarily listening. And because there's this overwhelming feeling of, I don't wanna be an anti, I don't wanna be a racist, right? And so partly I forgive them because I think I get it because they're being hoodwinked into this nonsense. On the other hand, I wish they were brave enough. And I say brave enough. I say this is a black person. I don't know what it's like to be white, you know? I have privilege here. I have the privilege to be able to stand up to this, right? White people don't. And and so I'm asking a lot of them. I'm asking a lot of a white person to be able to say no, I'm rejecting this. And obviously this isn't just about race. It's about a whole load of stuff. It's about mm-hmm. victim yeah. Yeah. and it's about us, you know, wanting to embrace victimhood for a whole load of kids who need the exact opposite happening for them.
2: Absolutely. Well, and Andrew and I are trying <laughs> and uh, thank you, Catherine Burbal Singh for uh, coming on. Thank you for your vision and your passion. And most of all, your courage. Um, this is just such a refreshing uh, episode, and and we really enjoyed having you.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Well, she was a breath of fresh air.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, you, you, we need thousands of schools like what she's doing. Oh, I know. And and in the UK, obviously, here in the United States, I mean, and and. You know, we're seeing a revival of, and we've had a number of episodes about classical education. We are seeing a revival of that, which it sounds like is is very much what she's doing—secular classical education. Um, you know, and that and that's you know something we'll talk about. We'll continue to talk about, and we need a lot more of that. But we right. need more Just, strong, courageous school leaders, teachers like her.
2: We do, and but also she pointed out it's the culture that she has created, and there are I think there are about twelve kind of dimensions that she identifies in the uh, documentary, which people should definitely check out on Vimeo. It is Britain's strictest headmistress. But essentially it is that it is structured. They it's it's a rigorous curriculum. They have high expectations and they discipline with love. And voila, they have a school where kids are thriving and um you know it's amazing. But you need
0: teachers to be on board with this. Oh, you need absolutely. to train teachers every and, teacher and in every parents. classroom. Yes. Well, parents have to be on board with this too. Mm-hmm. But but I think in in the schools, you know, where we talk about here in the US where you have all these teachers being indoctrinated in in the ed schools. And and I don't know if it's the same there. We talked a little bit about this, but um y- you've got to have teachers on the same page.
2: Yeah.
0: Every well, one of and- them.
2: And as she had mentioned, like, you know, she has to work with them. But I have to think that when you when you see the results of the kids thriving, um, that 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 goes a long way uh, to making the case. And, you know, so hopefully we will see more Michaela uh, schools out there. And um, again, you can watch the documentary. There's also a book uh, that she's written that outlines her approach. All right. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah. And if you enjoyed today's show, please share it. Give us a positive review and for sure, join us again. So on behalf of Andrew Gutman, this is Beth Feely, and we will be back soon with another episode of Take Back Our Schools.